finish this phrase, life is, life is a great and beautiful mystery that we constantly seek the answer to or ignore and uh, just carry on with our lives in a, a very dull routine uh, answer that we don't even consider an answer. It's just our lives. And meanwhile, when we stop all of that activity, life reveals us as a surprise to ourselves full of, well, more mystery <laughs> and also great joy. Is this thing on? Aloha, wise ask. It's me. Wise asker. Am I the only one that thinks wise ask is clever? <laughs> like just a play on words? I guess probably I am. Uh, it's not really that clever. But uh, hey, welcome to the show that isn't really a show, huh? The showless show, as Krishnamurti might say. Um, that's enough welcoming for one show. I said I would uh, talk about on the last episode of the not show here, how experiences, um, certain experiences anyway, are after the fact of Kundalini awakening and therefore worthless to you. So I will get into what that means, what some of those experiences are. And, um, then we'll, we'll talk about it. But first I want to address a question asked by conscious living forever. Who's really doing the hard work here on the show. I must say, uh, he's, he, he had asked, uh, what is the value of physical death? And I, I didn't have a one minute answer for that. So I thought I would, I would answer that here. And also when I'm done babbling away, if you want to be a guest, um, or if you're Matt, the out of body experience guy from last time, and you want to butt dial by accident, <laughs> feel free to join me either way. I'll accept either. Um, I, I really enjoyed that conversation with Matt, and I, I wish uh, it had been longer, honestly. So, but first, right up front here, I want to say that I'm having one of those days where everything that can go wrong will go wrong. So you can pretty much expect uh, something, you know, like the cat will jump up and start meowing at the top of her lungs for food or, or something, you know, like a pig will knock at the door. In fact, let's talk about a pig will knock at the door. Here's, here's positive negation at work. I've, I've talked about this a few times um, because really, you know, if, if there's any lesson that I can give on here that is useful to do as a teaching, it is positive negation. And now I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a doctor. I barely speak. <laughs> I don't know. I, I was going to say I'm barely educated, but I, I guess I am because I, you know, I went to college like decades ago. So arguably I'm barely educated. Um, so there's your grain of salt with any sort of psychological advice. All I know is if the self is to be no more for truth to take place, if truth exists at all, and that must remain in question or else you have an answer and you have another illusion to face, uh, in order for that to even have a possibility of happening, um, you know, the self must dissolve and, this is how you get there. I'm going to show it to you from something that has happened to me today. So my wife and I have a former friend. 
who we gave some space to on the property for years to to you know help him out because he's not from here. He's from another island, but he does charity work here, and we wanted to help foster that. By the way, this is like positive negation for someone who uh, lives the island life on a farm. <laughs> like you can replace like charity person with your own friend or family member and the the wild boar that's about to show up with another friend or family member. Um, so I digress. He ultimately decided he wanted to pay us something. So we were like, go ahead, set your price. Basically, it was for nothing. It might as well have been for free. We wanted to do that, not just help with the charity, but he seemed like such, he was one of those people who's like a sweet, nice guy. Like that's all he ever was, was sweet and nice there was something a little standoffish about him. Like he seemed to always walk on eggshells around us, which we thought was, was odd, but okay. Maybe he's shy and sweet and nice. But then one day, uh, a few months ago, he r- blew up at me about nothing like raging in my face, wanting to deck me kind of blow up literally out of nowhere. It's not like we built up through like passive aggressive arguments or anything like that. It was just like out of the blue, he uh, wanted to feed a stray cat on the property. He wanted to get a feeder to feed it while he wasn't here. He's only here certain weekends. And then the rest of the time, what? This cat's going to wander around and kill birds. Like, we have ducks. Stray cats are a huge problem on the island, killing birds and the such. So I said, uh, no, please don't, in a text. Just no, please don't do that. And... That that was that set him off to such an effect that I thought he was having a mental breakdown, and I thought that maybe he was trying to um, use me as a way to like he wanted me to kick him out, so that way he could um, toss up his hands at the work he's doing that he's actually frustrated with and quit, and it would be my fault in his head, right? Like this is just what I'm thinking is going on. So I let him have his little mental breakdown. I calmly, uh, I was like, why are you yelling at me about this? You know, I was very calm, uh, but yell, yell nonetheless. I let him have that one and actually let him uh, feed the cat. But then like, I don't know, a few weeks later, maybe even a month or two later, we had a mutual friend who was coming to stay and I asked, uh, I texted and asked if possible, if it looks like there's not enough room in the room our friend would be staying in. Uh, would you mind if I moved some of your water bottles? Cause he had just boxes of like water bottles and he called me on the phone and I knew the only reason to respond with a call would be to yell at me about asking about this. So I, you know, did the usual thing and answered the phone when my wife is there, we always answer the phone together. And so we did. And he, was like thrown off by that, wanted to only speak to me, not with her. And she was like, no, I, why? We always talk to you. And he was like, well, you're going to gang up on me. And how would you like it if my significant other were on the phone? We're like, great. So he wasn't having any of that. Uh, he yelled at both of us at the top of his lungs, you know, like, don't touch my stuff. That kind of thing. Literally that. Like we're his parents and he's 14. Just respect my stuff. Don't touch my stuff. And if you don't want my stuff in another room, you just tell me and I'll move it. My wife, Carol, was like, okay, great, do that. And he was like, fine, I will. You know, click or (laughs) he hung up on us. 
And I couldn't believe this. Like, this is not him. And yet here it is. And it reminds me of my dad, who used to be a rageaholic and unbeknownst to me until college. Uh, turns out he was also an alcoholic. And he was a workaholic, which I knew. So alcoholism fueling workaholism fueling rageaholism. I mean, all the signs are here. Uh, so I kind of know what I, I think I know what I'm dealing with anyway. But I don't really know. I just know the raging, and that's what I know. So, but I call him back, I get his answering machine, and I say, listen, I know I said I wouldn't kick you out, uh, but now you're yelling at Carol, and I can't have that. So, you know, you're out. <laughs> so that's kind of, that's where we left it. And now he's in the process of hopefully leaving, but, you know, we fear, because he's never going to find the ideal situation for all of his stuff, um, that he's going to take his sweet time about it. Uh, and... You know, but maybe not. I mean, maybe he will be out by the end of the month. Who knows? So that's going on, right? That's what's in my life. And also in my life is this wild boar. <laughs> it's been very droughty here. We have ducks. And the boar, usually uh, there's, you know, wild pigs and boar, and they come through the yard. They have like a little pig trail. We try to get rid of it. We try to wall it off with rocks and it doesn't matter. Whatever we do, they, they're smarter than we are. They figure it out. But, you know, we've got this movable electric fencing and we can kind of like sort of navigate them. So at least they don't get into the yard, but we took it down a while back and this one boar, uh, with a baby actually. So two boars, I guess, uh, has started coming around and, there was a banana tree going off and it was like, I think eating bananas or banana leaves, but we got it to go away. We put, I put back up the fence a few days ago. Hadn't seen any boar since, but just this morning, uh, as I, uh, you know, I, I sort of let the fence, um, I take it off electric and sort of let it down so I can, the ducks can come and go and I can go clean out their, their area. Um, because they free roam during the day, they stay behind their own electric poultry netting at night with a little cage and all that to feel safe. But then they come running up into the front yard and they have their pool here and their food. Well, they came running down into the cage by the time I went out there to, you know, clean it out. And I was wondering what was wrong. And when I came back up and there's the pig like right next to me, you know, <laughs> I of course put their food in their pool, stupidly, probably underneath a banana tree, which is not, you know, which is done. It's done producing, but there's the pig eating their food, which is a no, no. Right. And it got me to think like, I'm, I'm enraged at this thing because it's, it won't leave. Like usually they see a person and they run these things. You can clang, you know, you can make clanging noises, you can yell at them, you can point. Uh, in fact, at one point, I was spraying it with a hose. I tried to chuck little rocks near it. I didn't want to hit it with a rock. Didn't care. I got a little, we have like one of those blaster, uh, 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 what do you call them? Uh, water guns, you know, those like high pressure water guns that we would use on mongoose when they would come around. Sprayed it with that, you know, it didn't seem to like it too much, but ultimately didn't care. And I don't know if these are... Uh, someone's pigs that got out that are like super tame and, or if this is like th their way of challenging you without actually being aggressive or whatever it is, it's like, you know, Hawaii is Disneyland 
And these creatures, although they have a bad reputation, they're always nice. Right? Like, that's my experience of them. Nevertheless, I can't get this thing to go away, and I don't want to, like, walk up to it uh, because I don't want it to charge at me, and I'm alone uh, here today. So I would just, you know, be bleeding out in the yard. Nobody wants that. So, uh, you know, essentially, I I just try to, like, make it uncomfortable enough where it finally wanders away. And as I was thinking about it, I'm just, I'm just enraged because I've got the cat inside, like, you know, wanting attention and more food and all this. And I've got this going on. And it's like, when it, when it rains, it pours. And it just got me to thinking like, Oh, this pig is basically like the animal incarnation of what's going on with our former friend, which is, it just won't leave. <laughs> like it does things to enrage you and then it just sits around like it owns the place and takes its sweet time and as I got to thinking about that I got to thinking well actually it's not like him I'm projecting like really the pig is just starving because it's droughty it has nothing to eat it's not eating the ducks right it clearly wants just like you know fruits and vegetables and um you know, the food that we put out for the ducks and a swig of water, and then it's on its way. I mean, really, as, you know, wild animals go, the boar is pretty kind, pretty nice, and ultimately just wants to eat and live like everyone else. So I'm projecting. And then I got to thinking about how actually um, this situation is, is our friend's situation. I'm doing what he's doing. I am just as guilty in this way of him projecting onto me how he feels about the community that he is trying to do charity work for and their reaction to him and all the work that he's putting in for, you know, what he perceives to be, I guess, a little fanfare, I guess. Uh, It's kind of the same thing where, because during our argument about the cat, I had, he had, swerved into yelling and ranting and raving about the work that he's doing. And I said, that has nothing to to do with me. I'm sorry that you're going through that, but that has nothing to do with this. So why are you yelling at me about that? He's like, it has everything to do with this. They're the same. Well, I guess they're the same when you're projecting. That's what it is. So that made me feel a little more comfortable because I realized, okay, there's enough room for all of us to be the bad guy here. Like we're all on some level self-interested and the only one not getting upset about it is the pig. (laughs) Right? Like the only one not projecting anything is, is the animal that uh, we are supposedly higher than. Nevertheless, I, I started thinking about, okay, so why do you, do this, Jer, why, uh, what is it about, like, like, why are you even letting the pig take advantage of you? Why are you letting this friend take advantage of you? Why aren't, why is it when it comes to, like, fight, flight, or freeze, you've got flight down and freeze down, but you don't really fight back, um, you don't defend yourself as much as you probably should to create boundaries, you know, not to be, like, hostile, But, like, why do I have a problem uh, creating the necessary healthy boundaries with people and animals that there needs to be 
um, because you inevitably end up in situations like these. And I got to thinking about, of course, my parents, because it always goes back to that, and my sister, to an extent, in that I am the youngest. Um, I have one sibling, and I am the youngest. So, um, you know, she used to, like, call me into her bedroom when I was a little, little kid and grab my wrist and yell, Ma, Jeremy's in my room! So that my mom would come in and uh, see that I was in her bedroom when I wasn't supposed to be, like when we were supposed to be going to sleep, and I would get in trouble. And she would sit there and laugh. And my dad, as I mentioned, was a rageaholic. When I was a little kid, he would save that rage for my mom, and I would be the knight in shining armor who would go in and console her and then come out and yell at him. But as I got older, there was enough rage to go around, and you know he would yell at me. But my mom would also rage at me as I got older. You know, if I didn't do every little thing that she wanted, I was a bleepity bleepity bleep bleep bleep. So probably those types of situations are what create uh, this fear of fighting back or this fear of talking back or the fear of the rage coming at you or the anger coming at you or the punishment coming at you. And if I were to go to a psychologist Um, you know, I could talk this out and get to that point and then, oh, your time's up. Great. You've made some progress. And I might feel a little better about it, but I I guarantee you, I know this like I know anything from not being a psychologist, that this would rear its head in other ways, even if it stopped rearing its head uh, between said pig and said former friend, um, it would still rear its head in other ways because the pattern persists, right? The characters on the board change, but the game is the same, as it were. So, but what positive mitigation says is keep going, keep peeling away the layers of the onion until you can peel no more. So I went back even further and I thought, okay, that's not enough because why do my parents do that? And my sister, you know, like, (laughs) and it's, it's, like my mom was raised to believe that children should be seen and not heard. So she was quieted. Um, and as a woman or as a girl, as a female, there was the added bonus of uh, sexism and she had older brothers. Um, I'm sorry. She had younger brothers. I think she was the oldest of them. Uh, two younger brothers. And so she is to be seen and not heard more than them even. So there is that like, yelling at you to put you in line to be quiet and to put you in line. And my dad, uh, I don't think he had that problem, but he had a crazy, he had crazy parents. I don't know. He had a crazy father. And I think he had a, not a great relationship with his mom, although I thought she was great. So I don't know what went on there necessarily, but I know that it was enough to, uh, he became an alcoholic, right? (laughs) Like whatever it was. And then I think about, okay, what do I know about my great-grandparents? And the only thing I know are uh, are my, well, on my mom's side, I guess my my grandmother goes back to, like, sort of uh, New Zealander by way of the UK sort of semi-royalty, I don't know, upper crust. I mean, the really prim and proper. Like, when she married my, uh, my, my grandfather the American, uh, from the country. That was a huge no-no in her family, you know? Like, they had plans for her. So, 
I know that that was, you know, sort of her upbringing. And I know I just remember my great grandmother on my dad's side being like from the old country, Greece, um, or Macedonia. And, uh, you know, like anyone from any old country, doesn't matter what old country it is, the old country mentality of any of those European countries, it is very strict and very much like a, a traumatized person who never speaks of it and just puts it into like work ethic and uh, either mentally or physically beating the crap out of their kids, right? Like this is this is what they do, and plus religion. I'm sure there's religion in there somewhere. So by going back as far as you can you come to the point of realization that, right, like, not only are these patterns mine and this game mine that keep going on, they're also my parents, they're also my grandparents, they're also my great-grandparents, and further and further back one imagines. As far back as you can go, there's going to be patterns of behavior, patterns of dysfunction. And so we're all the same. I mean, to get mad at uh, our friend up there is to get mad at myself. To get mad at that pig, actually, is to get mad at myself. All of this is us. Now, I've already done positive negation on myself to the extent that um, there was nothing left. There was nothingness. And so I can't do that now to, uh, to end up at that same result because it would be phony. But you can, if you've never done it. So do it. Do it to all of your psychological issues and do it as they arise. It's even more powerful. I mean, if like in the moment of being upset about this stuff, um, I was still able to pull back and be self-aware enough to do this in the moment. And it's immediately relieving. So that much, at least, I, I get the benefit of. It's, it relieves you of the stress and the pressure. And you're right back to like, oh, right, we're all, we're all in this together. Um, so, uh, you know, there's my advice for you. Do that. <laughs> um, now we're going to move on. Um, unless anyone has any questions or anything to say and you want to queue up, go ahead. Um, if not, I'm going to move on to the last episode I had said I would talk about how experiences are after the fact of Kundalini Awakening. And I don't know if I said this in a previous episode to that or not. And we'll get into what Kundalini is and isn't probably in the future. I'm, I'm a, yeah, we'll do it. We won't do it in this episode. Um, but I will say that, like, the stuff that I've talked about, like when the body maneuvers you and moves around and does yoga, does Tai Chi, seems to know how to work a Tai Chi sword, uh, you know, whirling dervish twirls, um, yogic postures, all of these things that is not your personal consciousness maneuvering the body or the psyche, uh, in the case of like these psychic powers, turning them on and off, whatever. It's not you doing it, right? It's an impersonal consciousness that seems to flower and come alive and use a natural language of the body to produce and promote or promote and produce better health physically, um, mental and further psychic, if you want to call them that awakenings, and also seems to affect the environment in various ways. And again, it has nothing to do with you. And in a way, this is like the ultimate 
uh, it's funny this didn't come out of America moment because we love microwave ovens and and computer answers at the snap of a finger and and all sorts of uh, lazy cheats and get-rich-quick schemes, right? And this is like the wealth of knowledge without having to do anything or know anything. It really is like, you know, we want to, like, download ourselves into computers, right, and, like, be the Internet. Like, some of us fantasize about this monstrosity nonsense that they're trying to create a future of for us. And it's, like, organically, unbeknownst to us, uh, when we're not in the way, we are that. We are this uh, knowledge at our fingertips. And so now I could pay attention to this stuff uh, when I, when my will is set aside in Kundalini flowers in the body. Um, I mean, it just happens in a split second. I can just shut up for a second here and let it go. And the body will start maneuvering around and whatever will take place will take place. But I got to say, it's, it's always intelligence. It's not, it's not just like body ticks and like, Oh, I feel hot and cold or whatever, you know, like things you hear on YouTube and stuff like this. It's like, no, this is intelligent maneuvering. And, uh, it is doing to the extent that I have damaged my body or neglected or just been in ignorance of certain facets of life. Um, it will correct those. It will, it will heal those. That's what it's, I mean, that's what it's got to do before it can do anything else, essentially. And so that type of thing will be specific to the individual, however much they've damaged or ignored or just simply not known, because our culture has no reference for this, not known uh, what it takes for the body to be wholly alive, that this thing will fill in those gaps for you um, in your absence. But when I say in your absence, it's not like you go anywhere. It's not like this total trance state where you're not cognizant. You come back and go, oh, God, what did I do? Um, so you're there. So I could jot these things down. I could figure out what these yogic postures are and these meditative movements and these twirlings and stuff. I could figure out if I paid enough attention, what they do physiologically, what they seem to do in the environment, what their repeatability factor is and all of that, jot it down and sell it to you. And I, I, again, but why would I do that? Why would I even pay attention to it? Uh, to like to know, I don't need to know. So let it go. Um, but I have a feeling that is what people did in the beginning. And I mean, it makes sense. Like it's fascinating. And why wouldn't you want to like study it in some way as it's happening? But then you can um, show other people, these yogic postures and these moves that promote health, right? These meditations and stuff that promote better health. And I have a feeling that there was probably a school of thought that said most people are not going to quote unquote achieve this. And so for those people, you get the hand-me-downs of enlightened beings, the hand-me-downs being, here you go. Here's your yogic practice. Keep doing this. Maybe you'll make it someday. Either way, at least, uh, you know, you'll stretch your back out and learn how to breathe properly. Well, that's nice. <laughs> but the fact is it's after the fact. And so even these yogic postures and breathings and the such happen in perfect, proper proportion, again, to whatever ails you or whatever is that needs to be done in that moment. So while I can recognize the repeatability of some of these movements, 
Um, I can also recognize that they don't always happen. They don't always happen in the same order and they're not always repeating. But if you take a yoga class, for instance, you'll always have to master, right? Some basic steps, some basic things, and then on to the next thing. And you're breathing, you know, they, they, they make this big deal about how to breathe properly. And the fact is like with breathing, um, sometimes there's uh, purposeful breaths that you're not taking and you're not releasing. And sometimes there's not, it just depends on what you need in that moment again. And isn't that natural? Like this exercising and this building up of like a way to do something, uh, you know, you're not always having the same ailment. It's like you wouldn't always take the same medicine for a headache if you didn't have a headache. So why would you always do the same yoga positions? You know what I mean? <laughs> for something that's not ailing you. Um, because it appears to be healthy in another way. Like, well, it still appears to be strengthening you. Yeah, but you don't get it. Like, all of this, when it flows naturally, um, is you. So let's get there, right? Like all of this is for you to, uh, is an expression after the fact and is, I don't know, um, a broader sense of wholeness. It's not complete wholeness, but we're getting there. Um, and that's what we need to be. And so, uh, I guess this, I mean, I don't really want to talk about again, Kundalini beyond that in this, except to say that I recently did an interview uh, on someone's podcast that was just released. And, and we talked about Kundalini and I really didn't want to do it because um, I know what, what he thinks is Kundalini and it's not. And I know that he thinks he's uh, has, has Kundalini right? Like even the language is like, you have it and I have it and your Kundalini is this way and mine is this way. And it's an amazing, isn't it amazing that we can have such different variations of Kundalini for ourselves. And it's like all of this, I need mind language and the mastery of like controlling it, the rise and the fall of Kundalini and all this is like, um, I, I knew that I was going to have to tell him <laughs> if I'm to be honest, that we're not experiencing the same thing. And I knew that that would not be received well. I thought I could probably do it in a way that was friendly and, and not combative because it's, you know, why can't we discuss these things openly? Uh, why do I have to be like, oh, yeah, that's amazing? Um, because there are unwritten rules, right? That, like, you're a guest on a show and you're supposed to always be in agreement or else. And the or else is that the audience, of course, is there to hear their hero whoever the podcaster is. Uh, and this probably goes for me too. When I do podcasts, you know, this isn't, you know, on him. This is just the dynamics of the audience situation, which is that I know I'm going to get crapped on. I mean, that's the bottom line. Like I know that I'm going to open my mouth and be a negative Nelly. And instead of wanting to learn, because that's not what the audience is here to do anymore. Nowadays, they're here to, listen to the stories and the pers the, the personalities that they like and crap on you if they perceive a threat <laughs> to either of those things. And sure enough, that's, you know, starting, just starting to happen in the, you know, the comment section on YouTube of like, you know, I'm an elitist 
everything that happens to me is real Kundalini, and anything that happens to anyone else is, uh, you know, hot garbage. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. Why are you threatened by what I'm saying? But I do want to talk about it eventually. I just don't want to talk about it now beyond that, beyond to say, like, when you hear me speaking in a quote-unquote authoritative way, I wouldn't say that, but I would say uh, definite way uh, about this stuff, it's because I do know from experience, and I do know that that other stuff isn't it, and I know why it isn't it. It's taken me a while to figure out why it isn't it, but I figured it out, and I will present that maybe in the next talk. How's that sound? But for this talk, I feel like I just want to, uh, go with one more thing here because I've been, <laughs> I feel like I've, I've ignored it for too long. Just, uh, which is what is the value of physical death? Which is, again, is a question that conscious living forever asked, uh, days and days ago. And I felt bad. Like there's no way on this wisdom app to be like, I'm going to tell you later. Sorry. I'm not ignoring your question. Um, but I mean, it's an interesting, thank you for the question. First of all, conscious living forever. It's an interesting, um, it's an interesting question because of the word value, which is doing a lot of work in this question. Uh, so what is the value of physical death? Does death have a value? Uh, because to have a value implies a value to whom? A value to me, the person asking, really, right? Like, it's just such an odd word, value, because it, it's, it implies that you have a choice of some sort. Like, if it doesn't have a value, I'll just abandon it. <laughs> if it has a value, well, now I'm interested. What is this physical death you're talking about? But we don't have a choice, do we? Uh, that's it. We, we die. Now, if you're asking um, why death exists, I mean, it has, I guess you would say, intrinsic value, maybe, unto itself. Um, again, it just seems like such an, an interesting, odd way to frame the question. Does it have value? I mean, what death does, I can tell you what it is, uh, functionally, and this gets back to the nothingness equation of no dash thing, no being complete void emptiness, however you want to phrase that, you know, nothingness. Uh, and then thingness being, you know, everything. And how thingness is actually manifesting out of nothing, because nothing is consciousness. And so nothing is consciousness being. What is it being? It's being all things. Why is, why is it being all things? Because... It has to be that which is different from nothing. <laughs> it has, so this is why like, uh, there is separation within oneness, because oneness expressing oneself um, is necessarily expressing differently, or else it's not really expressing, is it? And what's different than oneness? Everything. Uh, shards. <laughs> A broken up, splintered off oneness as the many. Um, but once you have things lying around, like say the universe, um, or let's keep it small, let's say earth. <laughs> once you have an expression called life on earth or things on earth, um, they can't just keep growing. 
they can't just keep birthing into existence without leaving, right? Or else there'd be no room. We'd be right back to oneness because eventually uh, the entire universe would be one giant clog of uh, never-ending vampires, right? <laughs> like undying uh, beings of all sorts from uh, microbes to man. Uh, we'd be in trouble. We'd smother ourselves and we still wouldn't die. It would be hell without death. Life would be hell without death. I mean, you cannot have life without death and you can't have death without life. So they're, they're the same coin, flip sides of the same coin. And so the death, the value of death is life. Value of death is movement. Um, does that make sense? Now, that, that's a physical death. And it's the same thing with what we're talking about with egoic or the death of self. What is the death of self? That's real life. That's freedom. Uh, when the psychological construct of the seeker, as a who is a defense mechanism, dissolves completely. When the brain body's projecting you, turns off the projector, and you're no longer the movie playing out in the world, what light shines through the body now? That light uh, is, you know, consciousness per se, nothingness, the oneness. I mean, essentially we're talking about, drum roll please, uh, bringing oneness through the body uh, into the shards of itself, into time, bringing the timeless into time, bringing formless awareness into form when the form's own sense of self is no more. Uh, that is death shining through life. And life shining with death. You want to be all fancy. Um, and that's true transformation. That's not the slow evolution of time. That's not learning stuff to uh, grow. That is the dissolution of self for truth to be the case for all of reality which is human wholeness, uh, to be the case. And in that moment, uh, fear not, you are resurrected, born again. You are you 2.0 because one of those shards is you. You are still a quote-unquote thing uh, in the universe, being imagined by <laughs> consciousness per se. Uh, so you'll be back. But I'm, I'm, you know, doing you a disservice by admitting that. This is why Jiddu Krishnamurti never said anything about it, because that gives you a sense of relief um, that if you hold your breath long enough, you'll, you'll survive drowning. And uh, we shouldn't survive drowning. In this case, metaphorically, we should, uh, we should go with it. Because once you release... Uh, you realize that you're still breathing, that you have gills. Oh, wait, I have gills. I didn't know that. Um, you can't know that. You can't activate those gills until you you let go and breathe in the water. Uh, but by telling you all of that, it has the effect of giving you a comfort that is much like an oxygen tank where you're like, oh, okay, I guess I don't have to breathe the water. I guess I can pretend I'm breathing the water. 
This is what we do, folks. We want the answer of what happens after the fact of so-called enlightenment, let's say. Let's say there is a thing called enlightenment. We want to know, great, what happens next before we ever are enlightened? We want that goal, and then we want to chase after that goal. And um, and then for someone to come along and say, you know, actually that's that's a mystery with a capital M. You're not supposed to know that. You're supposed to be that. And the only way to be that is by the brain, not you, but the brain listening to this through you to shut you down as the seeker who's in the way of the goal. And then if there's a goal, it'll present itself, you know? Um, but I guess I'm, again, I'm doing you a disservice because I say, like, you know, don't worry, you're still, <laughs> the goal will happen, you know? So I'm doing you a disservice, and now you've got to um, see through that, too. You've got to stop paying attention to me as well for the sake of doing so. But the reason that I say that in the first place and do you this great disservice is because we're at a point in history where we're, we are becoming like the robots we wish we were, which is like we don't care about parables. We don't care about metaphors. We want instruction manuals. We need the plain, literal thing. We're at that fundamentalist point where we can only read the, the literal words and go, okay, I won't do that. I mean, not everybody, obviously. But too many of us were like, we can't hear it any other way. So the way to hear it is to hear like, yes, this will be the case. But also now forget I told you that. <laughs> like all of that is true at the same time. And, and if you don't take all of that truth at the same time, you just pick and choose what you're going to do here. You ain't going anywhere. Uh, and so you might as well go take a meditation class or a yoga class or whatever and pay your money. Don't get it for free. <laughs> it's just, it's that simple. Um, all right. So that's again, does death have a value? It, it's funny because obviously we, we can't do anything about death except for now, like originally, but now we're at a point where we can at least imagine that one day science will have figured out death and will live forever. Um, or will somehow inject our consciousness into a machine or a, a cyborg, uh, you know, half human thing, something. Perhaps a boar in the yard. I don't know. Uh, so now, you know, now you could have the discussion of like, does have, death have a value? And this is where the two worlds merge of physical death and this um, egoic death. And I, I always hedge when I say egoic death, because to say egoic, I think we've all been taught in the West that there's a difference between the ego and the self. Like there's you and then there's your ego, which is like this arrogant, uh, you know, insecure creature. No, it's you. When I say ego, I'm talking about you. All of this is you. You are that. So if we are at a point where we could conquer physical death in whatever way, or if we're getting there, um, does death still have value? And the answer is yes. To to do that, to to have the ability to conquer death, don't do it. <laughs> because what's going to go on 
is this ego, is this this imperfect self, which would be well and good if we didn't already know that this imperfect self, this selfishness, is what gives us giant war machines, death machines, killing everyone else off who never asked for this, the wild boar. Uh, you know, every being on Earth is threatened by our nuclear crap, right? Um, our consumerism. I mean, if we can conquer death and therefore continue on a mega scale to not care anything about the environment, guess what we're going to do? Earth is going to be one giant housing complex uh, with various class structures, maybe slavery again, who knows? And then we're going to go off to the next planet and the next and the next and bring our devouring cancer to as many planets as possible. Uh, because if we conquer death, we can't all just be stuck on this planet and, and smushed up. We have to spread out because if you can't die, you've got to move on somehow, right? We've got to have movement. So we'll just keep going planet to planet with our deathy crap. <laughs> expressing death in these other unhealthy, unhealthy ways because we refuse to actually die, which is what we do, metaphorically speaking. Um, that's what we're doing now. We don't want to die internally. We don't want to have that ego, oh, egoic death. We ignore it. We bury it. We have amnesia about what we truly are. And so we express it unhealthily already. And that's what we're doing. That's our lives is, un- is expressing this. We're building it up in other ways. And we're excusing ourselves all along the way by saying, well, this is human nature. Well, we've just technologically advanced further than our soul growth, but we'll, you know, we'll get there. (laughs) You know, no, we're killing ourselves off uh, because we refuse to die egoically. And that's just it. And if you are able to get rid of physical death without understanding uh, the egoic death without even caring anymore. Cause you think like what's going on, what's living beyond, you know, forever and ever in physical life in our immortality. Now um, you think that that's the pinnacle of what you are, or you would think that, right? I mean, you would think that we've conquered death. Therefore this thing that is alive is the pinnacle is it. And any future progress we make as a person will be technological in nature. Is that what we are? Are you sure? I mean, so let's also realize that the question of the quote-unquote value of physical death is very much, for humans anyway, interlocked with the question of egoic death. Uh, the value, if you, <laughs> the value of egoic death. It's funny because putting the word value in there sort of devalues the question. Uh, there ain't no choice in this either way. It just looks like a choice, the egoic death thing. It looked like a choice forever and ever. And this is what bothers me about like, um, you know, strains of Eastern philosophy, like Buddhism and the such, and even mysticism. Pretty much anyone who comes to the place of, um, Everything is just as it should be. You know, you'll get there, if not now, in a future life. Well, what future life are you going to have if Putin uh, just decides to nuke 
whoever, and then we nuke him, and then we all nuke each other. If you can't get there because global warming is a fact, and we don't want to see that fact, but it's working on us unconsciously and driving us crazy. If we can't sit still with ourselves during a pandemic, because to sit still with ourselves is to confront ourselves, and God knows we don't want that. If all of this is conspiring against us to drive us batshit crazy, what's going to be left when the nukes go off or Mother Earth says flick to the majority of the species through some sort of ginormous global catastrophe or a new ice age or something like that? I mean, are we going to reincarnate into cockroaches? Are we just a bunch of souls floating around the ether waiting for cockroaches to evolve uh, brains that are capable of uh, translating us the way ours are? Like, is that what you do? Is that what you want? Great sages of the world. <laughs> I mean, or are you just saying like, oh, well, everything is as it should be. So eh, <laughs> who cares, right? Like, uh, you'll get there eventually. No, we're seeing right now there is no eventually. Are we not at the, that point yet? Because I used to have like arguments with people or I wouldn't argue. They'd argue with me. They would hear me talk in this way. And they would say, oh, you're anti-Western civilization. Look at all the great things we've given the world. You know, like arts and science, as if we were the first people to ever do arts and science. But I digress. You know, let, let's give them that. What good are your arts and science if you're not there to enjoy them? If at the end of the day, you have murdered yourself because you didn't get right with yourself in the way that you must to go on as a species, what was the point in the first place? I mean, are you going to play on as the Titanic sinks <laughs> and then tell me how that classical music is amazing and pat yourself on the back for having invented it. Even though let's face it, most of us haven't invented anything like that in our lives. We just, uh, you know, inherit it from other people who are geniuses in their fields. And then we go, Oh, look at humanity. Aren't we all wonderful? Are you, or are you just expressing self in all of these other ways that feel wonderful for a little bit because they fill the hole uh, temporarily, but the hole is still you. And if we don't really deal with that, what are we doing here? And then the question, how much longer do we have? Figure it out. It's your lives. Tick tock. And on that happy note, does anyone want to join? <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't you want to join? Why wouldn't you want to talk, talk to the guy who just said all of that? Uh, huh. Anyone want to join in? I don't know how long to wait, and uh, I'm not a fan of dead air. So I will, uh, I will thank you for listening. I got to go fight a boar, so I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening, everyone. And, uh, you know, if any of this speaks to you at all, sit with it. You know, before you click on to the next thing or go on and do the next task in life, just be with the notion for a minute, you know, like let it sink in. That's all. All right. If it doesn't, I'll be back to yell at you some more. <laughs> am I yelly? I, I can't tell. Or am I passionate? Yeah, man, I'm passionate. Bye. Describe your childhood in 59 seconds. Oh, this one's actually easier than it sounds. It's pretty much uh, a combination of what my kindergarten teacher once wrote on my report card to my parents, which is marches to the beat of his own drummer and uh, a couple of simple toys.
Star Wars figures, then G.I. Joe figures, then Nintendo. I think all of that describes my childhood pretty accurately.